Now this morning we are going to be delving into a portion of scripture where Jesus is going to tell his disciples some important last words. Probably the most important parting words of all that he wants them and us to understand, remember, imbibe, grasp, and lean into with everything we've got. And Jesus will tell them this just hours before his death on the cross. I mean, how many here know that last words carry weight, yeah? You see, all the other themes in the Play to Win series all launch from this one. See, during this series, Craig has talked about how playing to win in our Christian walk is a complex business. He talked about um, the need for us to have relational intelligence with, with others and, and in our re- in interactions. Campbell Hill said that serving others and serving one another is playing in the infinite game. And last week, Craig slapped us around a bit as he told us that what we do will be judged, that our belief in God needs to be outworked in our lives. So, P.S., if you truly want to play to win, if you truly want to win the prize, it all hinges on this game changing truth and it's this it's one word you got it one word it's a good word it's a abide abide on that let's pray lord what a amazing morning already your presence is so thick in here Thank you for those that have been baptized this morning. Oh, God, would you just be with them in an amazing way in the days to come. Thank you for their obedience and the line in the sand that they have drawn in following you. God, this morning, I pray that you would wake us up to who you are and to your presence. Wake us up, God. May we not take lightly who you are, and that you are in the midst of us. So, oh God, as always, have your way, have your way, have your way in our hearts and in your people. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So anyone who knows me well knows that I love sports. Um, My favorite channel on Sky TV is ESPN, the mother load of American sports. And being American, even the seasons of the year, I associate with sports, and I still do that. In the U.S., spring, summer is baseball season because it's spring training. And the fall, winter is the start of basketball and football season, or as Kiwis like to call it, gridiron. I love gridiron. One of my favorite TV shows of all time is this show called Friday Night Lights. Anybody here has heard of it? It was a book then a movie, and then a TV series. And it's a show about um, a high school football team in a small, close-knit community in rural Texas where football gridiron is everything. And for these town folk, the team and winning is everything because they feel like football is all they've got. And their coach is a guy called Coach Taylor. Now, I love Coach Taylor. He's the kind of guy you want on your team and in your corner. And throughout this series, you, as you watch Coach Taylor mentor, mold these high school students, 
many of whom come from really messed up home lives, it becomes evident that this is way bigger than football. It's about their character, their integrity, potential, and who it is they are becoming. It's about having a clear understanding of who they are and who they are not. It's about learning that this team is not all about you. Yes, you may be a gifted player, but you are connected to something bigger than you. And that you can't win this game on your own. It becomes about their development and growth and their ability to remain focused, to stay the course, to develop some self-discipline, consistency, grit, and perseverance, especially when times are tough and they get knocked back. And it happens in the very first episode when their star quarterback breaks his neck. And now they have to figure out, how do we do this now? Most importantly, it's about that there is someone like Coach Taylor who actually believes in them, sees them for who they are, and all their failures, and still thinks they can do it. That someone is totally there for them and has their back. And his presence in their lives is completely life-changing for these players. And as you watch five seasons of it, you really see them transform, and it's just amazing. Now, there is this mantra, this refrain, this chant that encapsulates all of that, and it becomes an overarching theme for the whole series. Now, Coach Taylor will say it before every game, usually in the locker room, just before they take the field or during the halftime pep talk, especially when they are down and losing. And it's this. Oops. Gentlemen. It's this. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I love it. Now I'll play the vid. Gentlemen. There's been a lot of talk about expectation lately. Expectation of what we should be able to do to win. People are expecting. People are expecting quite a bit. I see us winning out there tonight. I have no trouble seeing that. That is not what I'm expecting. I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you they're going to come at you with everything they've got. I expect you boys to execute. Yes, sir. Expect you boys to play football. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Can't lose! You deserve this, do you understand? Yes, sir. You've earned this, the right to win. You put that in your head. Me too, coach. Expect to win. You've earned that. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Now, why tell you that? Why show you that? For two reasons. We are in this moment in scripture where Jesus is going to give the disciples a pep talk. The ultimate kind of pep talk. A clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose kind of pep talk. Filled with divine life-altering truths. These will be, like I said before, the last parting words just hours before his death on the cross. And the other reason is that I want a clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose kind of faith. Every time I hear it, it's something stirs in my heart every time. 
And I don't know what it is, but it has a resolve, a tenacious grit about it. And, and to quote when Craig sometimes says here from the stage, it has a mongrel aspect to it. And I think that just is so perfect because I love that. There is this thing, it's like, let's get after it. And I think the keys to having that kind of faith are unlocked in the following passage, passages. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to John chapter 15, or if you have your Bible apps, you can have a look at that. But we'll have it up on the screen as well. My prayer is that this would fall fresh on you this morning. Got it. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. <clears throat> I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I keep going. Here we go. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. These passages are so profound and loaded with so much meaning that it would take weeks for us to unpack it all. So I'm only going to pull out a couple of verses to focus on. Jesus starts out by wanting to make something really clear to the disciples. Like he really wants them to get this. It's a clear eyes kind of truth. He says, I am the true vine. You see, sprinkled throughout the book of John are these seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus ends with, I am the true vine. You see, Jesus is identifying that he is divine, fully man, and fully human. And the words I am in the Old Testament were used for Yahweh, the very name of God. It was so revered and so holy that they wouldn't even utter it. So Jesus is making it clear by saying, I am the true vine. I mean, this is such a radical statement that culturally you and I can miss. The imagery of the vine was used throughout the Old Testament, and it spoke of Israel being God's planting. Israel was God's people, and as God's people, they were meant to produce fruit, but instead they produced wild grapes. And they didn't produce the fruit of righteousness 
or justice and mercy that God had intended. So whenever you see the imagery of the vine in the Old Testament, think judgment. But fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus comes and he is saying this, what Israel was meant to be, I am. And it's fullness and completeness and it's genuine trueness. I am the true vine. And he goes on to say that my father is the vine dresser. And some of your translations will say he is the gardener. In essence, he's saying that my father is the one who tends the vine, who protects the vine, and who cares for the vine. You see, the, the vine is not the part that grows along the windowsill or along um, the, wood, the wood. It's the part that comes out of the ground, like a trunk that stands about three feet tall. It is the source that gives life to the branches. It's the starting point. <laughs> Jesus says, I want you to get this, boys. It's this pep talk. I am the true vine. Understand that. You are the branches. If you abide, stay connected to me, you will have life. And in these passages in John 15, what word shows up over and over and over? And I know in Scripture, when something is said once, you pay attention. When something is said twice in Scripture, you kind of you sit up and pay attention. When it's said three times, you start to really, like, practice it. Ten times, <laughs> ten times, Jesus has said this. It's the word abide. And some of your versions will say remain or dwell. Now, the Greek word that has been translated abide carries the idea of staying in someone's home. For example, when Jesus meets some of his friends for the first time, the question they ask him is, Jesus, where are you staying? Or where are you abiding? So take that idea that abiding is staying in someone's home and now apply it to what Jesus has just said 10 times over. He said, abide in me and I in you. Jesus is telling us and his followers what he wants our relationship with him to look like. So when he says, abide in me and I in you, he's saying that he wants to have, how he wants this relationship to work. I want to take up residency in you, and I want you, and I want you to take up residency in me. In a sense, he is saying that he wants us to move in together. I mean, can I say that? Let me just clarify. It's moving in together with Jesus. Yes, with Jesus. But I love how that is the picture that Jesus is emphasizing. I met and married my husband, Peter, in Youth of the Mission. He's a Kiwi. And we are two totally opposite people. <laughs> and it's a wonder we could write a book on how we got together. It's incredible. Peter is like Barry Crump. I don't know, some of the young people might not know who he is, but he's like a hunter, pig hunter, deer hunter, swan dry wearing, gumboots wearing, like, he's like a full-on hunter. I'm from Orange County, California. <laughs> I like to go shopping. I like to have lunch. So it was a whole other thing when Peter and I first started to live together. That was a massive adjustment. And I think he was thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? What, and even kind of the Latin culture, he's going, oh my gosh, you are so fiery more after we were married. Like, where was this girl afterwards? 
And then we went to Nelson, where his parents were, and I met them. And we moved in and lived with them for a while. And again, that's a whole other cultural shock thing, but it's where I learned, ah, I understand why Pete is the way that he is. <laughs> why he loves boiled cabbage in the pressure cooker. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was in the pressure cooker. I was like, what the heck? What's going on? They were such beautiful people, but when you move in together, it's an adjustment. It's a massive, massive adjustment, let me tell you. In a sense, in other words, what Jesus wants is that let us live life together. I want you to learn from me, talk like me, look like me. Let's have the kind of relationship where we are inseparable. We're a team. And I love how the message version puts it, make your home in me just as I do in you. And I think to have a clear eyes kind of faith is to wake up to what this is. It's a commitment from the God of the universe to be present in your life, to be present in my life every moment of every single day. But here's the thing. Here's the sad thing that can happen is that Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, who is committed and wants to be present with us every moment of every day, and yet we, and let me own that, and yet I can operate as if he's not. I can go about my day frantic with all the stuff that I have to do that I don't even acknowledge him. I forget that he's there. And I think if we're honest, sometimes this frantic busyness can go on for days until, oh yeah, Next Sunday rolls around, and I have my once-a-week big moment with God. And if we miss church, it can quickly become the odd moment with God. Now listen, church, our big moments, our significant moments, our mountaintop experience moments, and our once-a-week moments with God are vital to our walks with Jesus, absolutely. Big moments, like when we go to a Christian conference or an Easter camp and we're altered forever. Or coming out to one of our worship nights where you get to experience, you know, this manifest presence with God. And we even just witnessed a big, holy, life-changing moment with these baptisms. Wasn't that incredible? You see, our weekly or our weekly moments with God, like coming to church on a Sunday, attending a midweek Bible study or going to a life group, etc., all of those big and weekly moments are important. I mean, just take the disciples, for example. They had these incredible moments with Jesus. They've seen the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing because of Jesus. And they are there for his triumphal entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and they witnessed a worship service break out because the crowds recognized greatness. And yet... With all of that, Jesus' parting word to his disciples, the thing that he wants them to remember, the things that he wants them to have clear eyes about, is abide. 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 And I think to have a clear, clear eyes, full hearts kind of faith, is learning to move from the from only the big moments and once a week moments with Jesus 
to momentum with Jesus. Or as Brother Lawrence put it, practicing the presence of God. Having a clear eyes, full hearts kind of faith is going to take some grit, some focus, some intention, because the world is vying for our attention, church. And here's what I've learned in my years of walking with God. That intimacy with God is a fight. (laughs) It's a fight. Abiding with God is something I've had to fight and wrestle for. Wrestle for time to carve that out, to be intentional. It's a fight. And and I think as much as it is um, abiding is being with God, not doing but I think we have to be intentional about what that being looks like. You know, for me, over the years, um, I used to really love, when I spent time with the Lord, um, was to get kind of on the carpet and just really press my face down. There's nothing like getting on all fours, on the ground, carpet fibers up your nose, worshiping God. It's just a stance of humility. But over the years, my knees are really bad, so I haven't been able to even to kneel. And so, embarrassingly, I'm being really honest, I asked my husband, he's going <laughs> to cut out a carpet square. And he says, what's this for? And I'm like, so I can spend time with God. What do you mean? Just give me the carpet. It was a piece of carpet that I could do it, that I could press my face into from a sitting, kneeling position, just so I could have the attitude of being before him. See, abiding is a fight. Even when things start to fall apart, it's a fight. And here is also what I've learned, that abiding takes practice. It takes practice. And when you practice something, it means that you show up for it every day. And practice doesn't make perfect. That's not what God is after. Practice. Next slide, please. Next slide. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And I don't know who said that, but I loved it, so I stole it. Practice makes permanent. It's not just the big moments. It's all the little everyday moments that make the big moments so incredibly sweet. You might think of Jim Hearn, who was just such a man of faith. We talk about him a lot from the stage. Um, He died a couple years ago, and we just loved him. He just oozed the word. But here's the thing with Jim Hearn. When he used to preach on a Sunday, it was so impactful and powerful. But all the little moments that he spent in the word, the every day, that momentum with Jesus, he practiced the presence of God. And I remember seeing him teach all the times that I would see him teach, and I would think in my head, oh, when I grow up, I want to be like you. I want to be like that. Okay, so just to throw in another sporting video. There's a video that went viral a couple years ago. And it's by a rookie called Odell Beckham. He did the most amazing catch that 
they played on ESPN on loop over and over and over. And it was like this really big moment in his career, and it really set him up for what, his career now. But this went viral a couple years ago. Check this out, which they call the best catch ever. This entire team has been lifted tonight by Odell Beckham. Manning on a play fake. Rolls right, throws a deep ball down the right sideline. Odell Beckham Jr. made the catch Ridiculous. with one hand for the touchdown! Wow, what a catch by the rookie! Ridiculous! Oh my goodness! This is sick. Put this to music. Catches this ball with three fingers, his thumb. Okay. So Odell Beckham does this amazing catch. Like everybody's going crazy about this catch. But what I'm so glad that they caught, that that amazing catch didn't just happen. Didn't just happen. Check out the next bit if you could play that. That's him on the practice field every day. Seven days a week. Thanks, George. He's practicing. <laughs> practicing. And it's not perfect. It's not perfect, but it's permanent. It's like a go-to. Practice makes permanent. You know, during the Power of series, Eric talked about the power of solitude. And in his talk, he gave many practical examples of how to practice the presence of God. Now, I want to encourage you to go to our website where you can watch that sermon or download the Power of booklet. You see, what you and I need to understand is that God, who is active and present in the big spiritual moments and events of our lives, is the same God who is active and present in the in-between everyday moments. And he desires that we move towards and press into intimacy with him. It is so important that in God's heart and mind for us to know just how committed he is to being present with his people. And let me paint this picture for you. You see, God's desire to be present with us is seen throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, we see God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve got to experience the physical presence of God until they believed the lie that God was holding out on them. It was then that they were removed from the physical presence of God. Now they have to transition from walking with God by sight to walking with God by faith. You know, in the book of Exodus, he was a cloud by day and a fire by night with the Israelites with the Israelites on their 40-year road trip in the desert. And God wants to clarify to his people what kind of God he is. He wants to make sure they know that he's different from all the other gods that they were worshiping in Egypt when they were slaves. And it is here that God instructs Moses to build a tabernacle for his presence so God can dwell and be with his people. 
And later Solomon builds a more permanent tabernacle and the same thing happens. God's presence fills the tabernacle. Fast forward to the New Testament. In Matthew 1, Jesus is referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. And in John's gospel, he will say it like this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt can be translated tabernacled. Do you see what he's saying? The word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. It dwelled. It stayed. And just think, in the Old Testament, God dwelt with the Israelites in the tabernacle to declare, I am present with my people. And you fast forward to the New Testament, and God dwelt with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, who himself was a tabernacle. So God could declare through Jesus, I am present with my people. And right before Jesus Christ is crucified on the cross, he told his disciples that it was good that he was going away because I'm going to send you a helper. And that's the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 that our bodies are temples or tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. So now God dwells inside of us declaring, I am present with my people. And at the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, verse 3, he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. Now that word dwell, again, can be translated tabernacle. So what this is saying is at the end of the book, when Jesus makes all things new, he himself will be our tabernacle and we will spend all of eternity in the physical presence of God. The Bible starts, and I love this, with the greatest consequences for sin being the removal of the physical presence of God and the book ends with the greatest rewards for faith in Jesus Christ being the restoration of mankind to the physical presence of God. Do you see that, church? From start to end, God is shouting to us, I am committed to being present with my people. He is with you, church. He's with you. Even for the disciples, as Jesus is coaching them, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. They are moving from these big moments with God to now, okay, here, here's, here's the thing. You're going to have to abide with me. It's an everyday, it's an everyday kind of thing. And that means when you wake up in the morning, he is there. When you go about your day, he is there. And when you lay your head on your pillow at night, he is there in the quiet and stillness. He's there in your big moments, in your lowest moments, in your messy, doubting moments. He is there in your moments of your greatest temptation where he longs to empower you and strengthen you and lead you to victory. And even when you blow it, he doesn't shame you. He is there with arms wide open saying, come to me, let's start again, and let's lead you in a new way. He is there in all your stressed out and anxious moments, and he longs to bring you peace of mind and heart with the peace that surpasses all understanding. He is there in your grief, your hurt, your pain, your anger, and your frustration. 
And guess what? He can handle all of it. He is big enough to handle all of it. He dwells with his people. He is with his people. And church, if I could have the band come out, with, the, with that truth being our reality, guess what? We can't lose. <laughs> we can't lose. We can't lose. Even when it seems like all hell is breaking out, fight for intimacy with God. Don't let the struggles and worries of this world rob you of your joy or blind you to his presence. It's time to wake up. It's time to abide, abide, stay, remain, stay connected to the vine, dwell, stay the course, hang in there, don't give up. Your God is with you. Practice the presence of God. Yeah? And remember, it's not about doing, it's about being, but it's actually making yourself be there. <laughs> I want to end with this. Check out this video. Yeah? Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand and worship God? <laughs>